Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we've, uh, we've been going, have you noticed we've been going through some things? Just, uh, just some different kind of stuff going on, just things a little 
different. And uh, sometimes when that happens, uh, it affects your attitude. Has any, anybody here not had any attitude effect at all? You've just, you've been good, you, your, your perspective's been healthy, your faith has been strong, you just, it's not bothered you at all. Yeah, you know, I think, I think for all of us, we've had at least one day uh, where, you know, something got the better of us. And, and unfortunately, when that happens, and sometimes our, our perspective of Jesus comes down with our attitude. We forget that he's still king of kings and lord of lords and that he's this incredible savior and this person who loves us and cares for us in amazing ways. And sometimes we, our opinion of him kind of comes down with our attitude and we, we, have to, we have to get that focus right again. And so uh, this morning, I, I, I want us just to make that choice that says Jesus is not about, about me being comfortable or about it being convenient or making sense to me or whatever it is. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to this place that says you are worthy of praise because of who you are and what you've done, period. I'm going to do that. And it's amazing. That may, that may help adjust your attitude along the way. Just saying. It might. It might. So can we do that? Can we just make this choice this morning that says, Jesus, we're just going to worship you for who you are and what you've done in spite of whatever else is going on. We're going to make that choice to offer the sacrifice of praise, not just the ease of praise. Because when everything's going perfect, it's pretty easy to be happy and offer praise. The sacrifice of praise is when you're going, been a tough day, Jesus is still worthy. So we're going to offer that. So Jesus, this morning, we're just going to ask you that you would help us because we know our own limitations and our own frailties. And the reality is that some of this stuff that has happened around us and to us and through us and whatever has kind of gotten the better of us. And some days our attitude's gone down and our conversation went with it. And then just a whole bunch of things have happened. And God, this morning, we choose, we deliberately choose to look at you to look at you for who you are, for what you've done, for how you've helped us, for how you're going to help us. We're going to offer praise to you because you're worthy of that praise, not simply because we happen to have a good day. So we're just going to make the choice to offer the sacrifice of praise this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jason. Help us, buddy. God. 
shadow where I hide The ransom for my life Always my song You are good Oh, you are good Good Oh, you are good
want to see clapping, jumping. God is so good, and we are going to make it evident this morning. Amen? Bring in the energy to be here right now. Thank you, Lord. 
Oh, thanks, guys. Somehow that just brings life, doesn't it? Wow. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hey, well, I want to ask you to, to join me in a, in a special prayer this morning. And it, it's kind of an interesting follow-up. Some of you know that in the last month or so, we have prayed a couple of different times uh, just about asking God to help people who are making decisions in terms of education. And uh, a couple of days ago, I got an email from, uh, from one of our uh, school superintendents, and um, he's asking for help. Um, they're just trying to figure out how to do school. They, they don't have enough facilities to kind of, you know, get everybody back in education, and yet they want to keep them active, and especially some of the younger students that they're really concerned about whether they're going to learn and, and learn all the things they need to know. And um, so he's, he's talking about, can, can we use facilities? Do you guys have facilities that would be available? Do you have people that could help us with, a, you know, a, little, a second grader that's trying to figure out how to do math? You know, I mean, you don't, you don't have to have a PhD. You can probably figure out second grade math, most of you, you know. Well, a couple of you maybe <laughs> might need to come to class, but I think most of us could, could do second grade math. You know what I'm saying? I just, but but they're, they're, they're saying, can, can we bring you students? We'd, we'd feed them. We'd bring the food. And, I mean, and, you know, they're just, they're looking for help. And, you know, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of my life as working as, as a youth pastor and just trying to get permission to be on campus and trying to get permission to maybe start a club that you could, you know, talk about your faith and just these, all these other things and, and to have the school district asking us now, coming to us saying, can we use your facilities? Or, do you have people that could help us? Could, could we bring our students? We don't want them to lose their education because uh, right now, unless we can change the numbers, there will be no gathering. There will be no public school uh, at this point in, in our county. Uh, so. I, I think it's a significant moment um, for us uh, because, like I said, I've, I've been doing this kind of pastor thing for a long time. It's the first time I've seen the school district come to us. We tried to get to them and say, can we, can we help you in some way and kind of bring our faith and our, our, our beliefs uh, about the value of people with us when we come and to have them come to us, I think is a big deal. Um, and, and I think if you look historically at our faith, uh, the, the, early, the early church, our spiritual forefathers were the people who, who went in to the problems, not the ones who ran away. And so that when the epidemics of their days, when the, the droughts and the famine of their days, when those things happened, they engaged. They found a way to engage. Uh, and so I, I think maybe God is giving us an opportunity, but also a challenge uh, to be able to engage. Uh, and so I want us to pray about our response. I have to, I have to send an email back. Um, and I don't know that I've ever asked the church to pray to help me answer an email before. Um, but I, 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 want you to, I want you to pray with me, and I want us to get it right. Because um, I, I think on one side there could be this lure of pride that says, oh, yeah, we'll, we've got all the answers. We'll come in and we'll help you. And, and that's not going to be very Jesus-like. And I think on the other side, there's going to be the, man, those little kids, just, they're just little germ factories. We don't, I don't want to be around them. You know, I'm going to catch something for sure if I'm hanging around these little germ machines. And I think somewhere between fear and that pride that says, oh, well, glad you finally called. We're the ones with, you know, you know what I'm saying? Somewhere between fear and pride, I think, is an answer of faith. And, and we want to respond that way. Fair enough? So Jesus... We're asking that you would help us to know what to say and how to say it. You would, you would help us to know what challenges you're asking us to accept, what risks you're asking us to take, what things you're asking us to do.
God, we don't take it lightly that we have prayed often in the last month for those who are involved in the leadership of our schools. And now, in answer to that prayer, they've come back and said, well, so what can you do? So Jesus, I pray that you would talk to our hearts and our minds, that we would not be afraid, that we would not shrink back and go, oh my goodness, what, what, what happens if they bring some of those kids and, and, I, and I help some, some seven-year-old with his math problems? I, there's diseases and got somewhere between fear over there and this kind of faith pride thing that would just say, well, look at us, we got it all together. Somewhere in there is a, is a humble answer of faith. It says we're here to serve. We were always here to serve. We're here to care. We're here to make a difference. We're here to invest in that which is good and righteous and right and to stand against that which is wrong. And we certainly believe that ignorance and lack of education is that's not a good thing and we want to be against that and we want to be for education and for learning and because <laughs> every time you learn the truth you learn more about Jesus because you're the way the truth and the life so God help us help us to respond correctly we want to do the right thing here we want to do the right thing here so give us courage give us courage and help us with humility to offer whatever we have to offer in the name of Jesus on behalf of our kids. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with us. Keep praying, please, would you, about that? It would be an, an important thing. Well, you can, you can still wave at each other. That's, uh, that's a still an okay thing to do. So, uh, you, know, if you, you know, look around, say hi, wave, wave at the people close to you. And, uh, you know, most of them look pretty good. Uh, in fact, with a mask on, some of them look better. Uh, and so, you know, it's... Uh, it's that's kind of a win-win for some of you, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're happy for that. So, so thanks for doing that. Hey, I, I just want to tell you just before we watch the announcement video that, uh, that Dan and I did a little um, a video. It's on our website, and it, and it talks medically about the whole issue of, of, of masks and when they help and when they don't. And, uh, you know, that whole question has kind of turned into a political thing rather than a medical thing. And uh, so we've, we've tried very specifically, for those of you that don't know Dan, he's ear, nose, and throat surgical specialist. And so he spends all day working on people's heads and sinuses where the, where the virus lives, right? I mean, he spends his whole time there. Um, so he knows probably more about it than, than a lot of people, uh, though he's not an infectious disease specialist. He'll be quick to tell you that. But I just want you to know that it's out there. I, I think we've given you some good information that's medical. It's not political. It's not social. It's not culture. It's just medical. Just medically, this is what happens. This is why people in the medical profession wear them and when they wear them and how it helps them. And so we, we want you to have that information so that you can maybe make some good decisions. And we talk about how our faith interplays and connects with those medical concerns. So it's just some information that's on, on, the, uh, on, on the website for you. Uh, and, but for this morning, we've got uh, the announcement video, so we're going to watch that. Parkway family, it's so great to have you this morning. I'm excited. Are you? I have a couple of things that I'm going to tell you about. First, don't forget that we have our digital connect cards. You can use those if you're brand new. You can use those to update your address 
and you can even use that to share a prayer request. We pray for you every week. Speaking of prayer requests, our middle schoolers will be embarking on a journey later this week. Please keep them in your prayers. BGMC Sunday is coming up this month. It's going to look a little bit different this time. Instead of our kids running around the worship center collecting change, you can grab a buddy barrel in the lobby, buddy barrel, collect change the whole month, and bring it back for BGMC Sunday. Speaking. <laughs> teleported super fast so I wanted to invite all of the elementary students up front and the middle schoolers you can go in the back with my amazing sister and you will be well taken care of um, so just a reminder that if you have tithes and offerings um, our ushers will be waiting when you leave at the back doors and you can take your offerings to them so I'm going to pray for all of our students this morning Jesus I thank you um, just that you're going to work today, Father. I just ask that in every service, in the kids' service, in the middle school service, in the adult service, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move, that you would speak to us, um, that you would show us things about ourselves that we can realize we're there, God, and I just thank you um, for what you're going to do and how you're going to move and how you're going to speak to the kids, the middle schoolers, and the adults today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Bethany. In first service, we got to meet her dad. Her dad was here. Her mom and dad were here. So that was, that's fun. We're, we're just gradually moving their whole family from the coast to here. That's just, well, we're just one, one piece at a time till we get them all. We're just, we're just helping them relocate. Um, so anyway, it was fun to meet them. So I don't know if they're still around. Some of you might get a chance to, to talk to them as well. So we're in 2 Timothy, so uh, in your Bibles, uh, you can find that. It's toward the back. For those of you that are watching online, go find your Bible wherever you left it laying around the house. Go find it, get it out so that you can follow along with us. We want you to keep track of where we are. We have been looking at this letter of 2 Timothy because we're trying to figure out some spiritual advice about how we can live godly lives, good lives, meaningful, fulfilling lives in the midst of difficult times. And Timothy is experiencing some difficulties. The Apostle Paul absolutely anticipates that those difficult times are going to get worse. That's why he's writing this letter to Timothy. So we've been looking at it not to just say, well, what did Paul say to Timothy? But we're trying to look at it in terms of how does what Paul said to Timothy help us in our situation? And I think we're going to see some parallels as we move our way through this and as we begin to try to discover what it is that God's talking to us about. One of the things that we're going to discover in this, and we're going to spend probably more time on this than we have in some other situations, and that is that a lot of the problems that we face really have to do with us more than our circumstances or the people around us. But we tend to see it the other way around. We tend to get involved in situations and we go, you know what, if that person over there would just behave, and if that person over there would quit saying bad things about me, and if that situation over there would change and all the circumstances would get better for me, then my life would be better. And we don't stop to realize that the real problem we have is the person looking at us in the mirror. 
that our problems are happening in here, and that's affecting a lot of this other stuff. And so Paul is going to be reminding Timothy, hey, it's, it's not an outside-in thing. It's quite often an inside-out thing, and you need to look deep in the core of who you are in terms of how you're responding to the circumstances instead of waiting for the circumstances to get better. And so that, that this inside-out rather than outside-in thing is going to be a big part of what we look at today, and it's going to be a big part of, of, why we're, of why we're reading this. One of the things we're going to notice as we go through this again is this is a very personal letter. This is not Paul writing to a whole group of people saying, here's some things I'd like you to know and some things I'd like you to learn and understand and for you to get better at. This is Paul writing very specifically to Timothy about Timothy's situation. And so we're going to see personal references. Once again, we're going to hear about people that we've never heard about anywhere else in Scripture. There are just names that are being referenced. But in this situation, there are names that are being referenced in a negative situation. And Paul is saying, hey, we have this circumstance. We have this situation we need to handle. These guys are contributing to it in a negative way, so we need to deal with it. It's not something that we're real good at. In our culture, we tend to degenerate either into just flat-out name-calling and we get a lot of that, right? I mean, if you watch any of the news feeds and you watch any of the, you know, the talking heads on the television or the, even on the, the internet sites, what, what you see is that a lot of the conversation around us is just degenerated into name calling. They aren't listening to each other. They aren't trying to solve any problems. They're just calling each other names. So we, we degenerate into that. Or in our culture, we'll often just avoid issues that we don't want to deal with. We just, we, we don't want to, ah, I don't, I don't want to really call somebody out on what they did. I, I don't want to name names. I would just kind of want to talk in soft terms about what's going on. And so we never resolve the problem. So we're either being so mushy on one end, we don't get anything done, or we've gotten so critical and name calling on the other that we're not solving problems anymore. We're just hollering at each other. And we find that the Apostle Paul is just going to come in and say, here's a problem. By the way, these two guys are contributing to that. You need to take care of it. And it's not in name calling, and it's not in just kind of mamby-pamby approach that doesn't deal with issues. Paul finds a balance that we're not very good at finding, and so we're going to deal with that. And, and one of the reasons that Paul finds that balance is because he loves things and people enough to confront the situations that are hurting those things. So I think it says something about how much we love someone, whether we're willing to defend them. And Paul is saying, Timothy, I love you enough to defend you. I love the church enough to defend the church. I love the gospel enough to defend the gospel. It's actually an act of love. It's not an act of anger. It's not an act of frustration. It's simply saying this situation is causing pain on the part or in the lives of people that I love. And it's in part coming from these people over here. We need to stop that. This needs to end so that we no longer cause pain and frustration. So we're going to see Paul doing a little bit of that as we go along. So I want us to go and, and, and read the passage. Let's, let's take the whole thing. So it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 14. If I can get this screen to move. There we go. He says, keep reminding God's people of these things. So the stuff we talked about last week, we won't go back and rebuild all of that. He says, warn them before God against quarreling about words. It has no value, and it ruins the people who listen. You do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Remember, see, remember this, in, this inside out rather than outside in? Paul's going to identify some problems, but he's going to say, Timothy, how you deal with problems is by getting a hold of yourself. 
and then projecting a healthy person into that problem instead of demanding that the people around you get their act together first. Inside out, not outside in. So he says, warn these people about some things that are happening, this quarreling about words, and you do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hominius and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. I just remind you, we talked about it last week. In every generation, the thing that will be challenged will be the resurrection of Jesus, because the resurrection of Jesus is key to the gospel. If he was not risen from the dead, there is no hope for us. It is key to the gospel. He could have died for us simply out of sympathy. It is his resurrection that shows he has the power to help us. He doesn't just feel sorry for us. That's why the resurrection is so important. And Paul said, there's some guys here that have fallen into godless chatter. They're just offering their uninformed opinion. And people are getting caught up in all the weird discussions. And what's happening is it's unwinding their faith. Timothy, you need to respond to that. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Hang on to those phrases. We're going to come back to those. Here's an illustration that Paul's going to use. He says, in a large house. Now, when when Paul talks about a large house, Timothy understands exactly what he's talking about. In their culture, a large house would be a reference for not just a place that has a lot of square footage. It's going to be a reference to a family who has square footage, but they have square footage because they have money. They own property. They have businesses. They have income. They have servants that work in their house. So Paul is helping Timothy think in terms not of square footage, but in terms of a large household that probably is also the family business. So whether it's a farm or they have a blacksmith shop or whatever they have going on, the house, the business, the people who work for the business, the servants that work in the house, it's a big deal. So Paul is making that reference to Timothy, not something that you and I are very familiar with. He says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also wood and clay. So they've got all these different kinds of, of, you know, I got a wood bucket over here for doing this, and they've got some pottery that they use in the kitchen. They've got some fancy stuff that they use at the dinner table when they're hosting dinner events. And he's going, it's a large house. These are influential people of means. And says, they've got all this stuff. He says, some of those pots and silverware and utensils, some of these things, are for special purposes. Some of them are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the common use will become instruments of special use, made holy, separated, that's what the word means, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. So here's where the illustration breaks down because you and I don't understand exactly what Paul is referring to. And Paul in here is in no way being gross, but he is being very specific in his illustration. So how many of you know what a chamber pot is? Some of you know. Some of you don't know what a chamber pot is because you have indoor plumbing. Because you have indoor plumbing, you don't have a chamber pot. There's a reason that you don't have one and why you wouldn't be aware of one. Okay? 
But in this large house that Timothy is being reminded of, he's being told they have some different kinds of pots in their home. Some of them they put water in. Some of them they cook food in. Some of them they do other things in. And if you're lucky enough to be the owner of the house, one of the servants comes and takes your chamber pot and dumps it, cleans it up, and brings it back for the next time you need it. Paul is making a reference to that. As I said, he's not being gross. It's exactly the way life works in his circumstance and situation because indoor plumbing and pressurized water was not a big part of what they had, though they did have some sewage systems and stuff. But they did, that wasn't common. You used the chamber pot. That's what you did. When Paul talks about common use, he's talking about the chamber pots. And he's contrasting the chamber pots with the fine china that's used for dinner. That's his illustration. And he's telling Timothy, guess what, Timothy? You get to decide. Are you a chamber pot or fine china? And I want you to notice they're both useful. The question is not, a, uh, the, question is not a, a, the distinction between being useful and useless. They are all useful. It's just some of them are for common usage. Some of them are for the master's use for special things. So that illustration would be very clear to Timothy, not so clear to us, because we have indoor plumbing. <laughs> Those who cleanse themselves from the common use will be an instrument for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. So Timothy, here's what you should do. You should flee evil desires of youth, and you should pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Sounds like what he said before, right? Same concept. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. In other words, you shouldn't be involved in this. You shouldn't instigate it. But you should be kind to everyone. You should be able to teach and you should not be resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So this section, this section of Scripture that we're looking at, the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 2, is divided up kind of into three pieces. We have a, a teaching part at the front, a teaching part at the end, and we have the illustration in the middle. So I want to come back to that illustration that's in the middle, and we want to kind of start there. So again, in a great house, in a large house, in the house of someone who is influential, we have many pots and vessels, some for common use, some for special purposes that the master can use. As I said, this, the, the contrast that's being used here is not a contrast between what is useful and what is, what is not useful. It's a contrast between what is of honor and what is, of, what is common. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. Timothy, I want you to be of uncommon usefulness. I want you to be available to the master of the house for the things that he wants to do, not a pot that one of the servants uses for what they need to do. He's drawing this picture. As again, I said, it's not a difference between useful and useless. It's a difference between two kinds of usefulness. 
So here's the thing. You can sing and sing really well and do it only to make money and entertain people. That is a common use of your skill. Or you can sing to the glory of God and lead people in the worship of the one true king that is now an uncommon use of that same talent. So whatever your skill and your talent is, it can either be of common use, you just do it for your own benefit and the entertainment of people around you, or it becomes a talent for uncommon use and it becomes something that the Lord can use as a blessing to other people. And he's saying, Timothy, you get to decide what your usefulness is going to be, and it's determined by whether you cleanse yourself of the common so that you are available for the uncommon. In all of that, he starts again with this inside-out perspective. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to do the work in here that lets you be useful out here. It's this inside-out kind of movement. He wraps it up by saying, the Lord knows those that are His. Timothy, you cleanse yourself from these things. And by the way, the Lord knows those that are His. He's telling us that we need to take care of our own business. We need to take care of our own stuff. We need to be looking inside, not outside. We need to be judging where we are, not judging where everybody else is. He says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You know, we often get this backwards. So what we want to have happen is for everybody around us to depart from iniquity so that our life will be easier and better instead of us departing from iniquity so that we are a vessel ready for the, the master to use. I, I, I heard an old lady say one time, the problem with riding around on your high horse is that it is so far to the ground when you fall off. And Paul is kind of saying the same thing to Timothy. Timothy, this is not about you getting up on your high horse and from your advantage of, of sitting up there so high that you start judging everybody. Well, well, that person didn't do the right thing and that person over there didn't say it correctly and that person over there is wasting their talent and their skills and, and, and you just become the one who's pointing out how everybody else is failing. He's saying, Timothy, that's not your job. Everybody who's going to follow the Lord has to cleanse themselves of iniquity, not judge everybody else as to whether they are having iniquity in their life. You know, if you, if you decide you're going to be the one who's going to climb off the mountain and defend the moral high ground, you're going to find that pretty soon you're the only one standing up there because nobody else can live up to your standards. Nobody else is good enough. And besides, everybody's gotten so tired of being criticized by you that they've all backed off. And there you stand, the defender of all that is right and good by yourself, because nobody can stand to be around you. Paul is being so clear with Timothy. Timothy, it's inside out. It starts with you. The Lord knows those that are his. You don't have to decide who's in and who's out. Don't you always love it when somebody's figured out who's going to heaven and who isn't? <laughs> you know, it says the Lord knows those that are His. It doesn't say that He tells us whose are His. He knows, 
And that's what matters. It's not up to us to decide. What's up, up to us to decide to do is to get rid of the iniquity in us so that we can be useful and help other people. He's saying, Timothy, this is an inside-out thing. It's not an outside-in thing. The Lord knows those that are His. So he starts the section and leads into that illustration. Let me just read you the words again. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but it ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one is approved. Look, look who you're working on. Do your best to present yourself as one who is approved. You don't get to stand up and approve of the other people. <laughs> we like to do that, don't we? Okay, you're in. No, nope, you're out. Um, uh, well, we'll, just, we'll get back to you. Uh, you know, nope, you're out for sure. And uh, maybe. You know, <laughs> Timothy, you don't do that. You don't do that. You present yourself to God so that you can be approved by Him. A worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, who rightly handles the word of truth. And avoid irrelevant babble. <laughs> we had godless chatter. It says it here, irreverent babble. Because it will lead people to more and more ungodliness. It's like these two guys that he mentions by name that have got it all messed up about the resurrection. He says we need to, we need to work on that. The passage starts where we left off. That's why the, the passage begins, remind them of these things. What? That the eternal gospel is, in fact, historically grounded. It is eternally powerful. The resurrection is, in fact, true. Timothy, you need to remember that power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Timothy, don't forget these things. It's what gives you victory. It's what gives you authority. It's what lets you take care of the issues in your life. It's not what gives you the opportunity to judge other people. It's what gives you the power to get your own stuff together. He says, remember this stuff. Remember this stuff. Because he says, if it gets down to this arguing about words, all it does is cause strife, and all it does is cause arguments, and all it does is separate people. It's just a bad thing. And, and boy, if, if we've ever been aware of the fighting about words, we should be aware of it now. Our culture is drowning in this thing. It, but it's also been a problem that the church has had. Remember, it's, it's, it's an inside-out thing. The, the, the church is not threatened by what somebody out here is saying. The church is threatened by what the people inside are saying. we got to get our stuff together. We're the threat to ourselves. Then God gives us the power to deal with whatever comes from the outside. It's, it's, it's one of the longest standing arguments in the church goes all the way back to the beginning. And it goes back to the issue of trying to talk about who is Jesus. Because let's face it, Jesus is the key in this whole thing, right? He's the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, you need to stop and think about that. He's fully God and fully human. He did the whole nine-month gestation thing inside Mary's body, but she was not impregnated by Joseph. She was impregnated by the Holy Spirit. At some point, that's just kind of weird. And you've got to wrap your head around that and go, how in the world does somebody give birth to a fully born, fully developed human male child that has no human father? The Holy Spirit is his father. So this whole question about Jesus and who he is and his ability to die on the cross for us and the power of his resurrection that saves us from ourselves, who is this guy? Getting him properly defined is big. 
And so in the church, early church, a lot of people were going, I kind of like those Christians. They got some good ideas about how to treat each other. That whole golden rule thing, you know, do unto others. You have others do unto you. You know, that's kind of cool, you know, and being a peacemaker. I'm kind of all about that. I like that stuff. You know, but this whole Jesus thing, fully God, fully human, ah, it's a little much. You know, so let's, let's just go with their ethics, but not their theology. Yeah, and so this argument breaks out. They have to properly define Jesus. The argument that breaks out, though, goes from being a defense of who Jesus is to people who don't understand to a fight between the people who supposedly understand as to who's the most spiritual. And so we have the people in the Western church arguing with the people in the Eastern church about who has properly defined Jesus. The problem is the people in the Western church speak Latin. The people in the Eastern church speak Greek. So now, not only are they arguing about technical matters, they're arguing in two different languages. So for me to argue with the other guy, you have to translate for me what the other guy said so that I can then argue back with him and I have to use my language to do it and you have to translate what I said so that he can understand whether or not I just won the argument. And it becomes an issue of who has control of the church. Is it the Latin speakers or the Greek speakers? And they're arguing with each other and they are wrangling about words because the reality is the words that the Greek speakers used were very adequate words to describe Jesus. But when you translate that Greek word into a Latin word, the Latin said, that's not a very good word. And the words that the Latin speakers used were very good words to describe Jesus. But when you translated the Latin word into the Greek word, then the Greeks were going, oh, that's not a very good word. And the reason they were so judgmental of the words that were being used was not because the words were being used were wrong or bad. It's because the real argument was about who's in control. Who's going to win the argument? And so they were wrangling about words. They were arguing about words. It's not just in the church, though. It's in our culture, isn't it? In our current cultural wars, it's not good enough that you agree with someone. You have to totally agree with them and use the exact words that they've said you need to use, or they say you're ignorant and you're a hater. Our culture is wrangling about words. It is full of godless chatter. And people are listening critically so they can maintain an offense instead of listening graciously so they can reconcile the issue. You see the difference? You can listen critically. Ooh, did they use the exact word that they're supposed to use? Did they say that exactly the way they were supposed to say that? Did they stumble a little bit with their words when they spoke? That means they don't get it. See, you can listen critically, and you're simply listening to try to keep the argument alive. You're listening to keep the offense alive. You're listening critically. You're not listening with kindness. Aren't you glad that God listens to what you meant to say and not what you did say? Come on, haven't you ever prayed and got to the amen part and said, God, I hope that made sense? 
You know, I hope you got it, God, because I'm not sure I was clear there, you know, and, I, I, and, I, and I, I'm not sure I used all the right words, and it didn't sound very spiritual, but I was trying to say something. I hope you got it. I mean, haven't you ever... I mean, aren't you glad that God listens not critically, but kindly? He listens not to judge us, but to connect with us. He listens to solve problems, not keep them going. Aren't you glad that that's the way he listens to us? We're told, avoid foolish arguments. Avoid bantering around words in a battle, not for understanding, but for supremacy. He says that kind of activity ruins people. Listen carefully and kindly, not critically. Don't try to defend your superiority. Don't try to protect your offense. Listen to solve the problem. So whether it's in church, whether it's in our culture, whether it's in your home, <laughs> it's amazing how many issues you can solve between couples when they give up the idea one of us has to win. And they say, can we just solve the problem? Because <laughs> usually what's happened is they've sparred off. Here's the situation. I got an answer. You got an answer. We're going to have to pick one. <laughs> and now the fight is on. And when you can finally convince them, what if you two work together to solve the problem instead of trying to figure out which one of you is going to win? It changes the whole dynamic in that relationship. And Paul is challenging Timothy to be a person who listens in those ways. He's going to give Timothy some very specific things that help him to be a better listener, a not a critical person who's trying to defend the offense. And so here's his instructions. It's in verse 22, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passion and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know that they only breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The opening contrast in here is pretty clear, right? He says, Timothy, avoid youthful passions. I have to tell you that a lot of people read that and immediately think of sex and only sex. And they're going, well, Paul's telling Timothy to stay away from the girls in the church, okay? <clears throat> that is part of youthful passion. So it is included, but it is a misunderstanding of what Paul is writing if you say it's only about sex. God has some very specific things to say about our sexuality, how we should express it, where the boundaries are for inappropriate expression. God has some very clear things to say about that whole issue. And that issue is wrapped up in this phrase that Paul uses, but it's not limited to that. Let me give you a couple of other examples of what a youthful passion might be. I've told you before that there was a time when I knew everything. I can still remember it. I can remember when I knew everything. It was a wonderful place in life. I mean, it really was. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, I enjoyed that part of my life where I knew everything. It was wonderful. Whatever the problem was, boom, I had an answer. Whatever the situation was, boom, I could fix it. I had answers to everything. Everything was easy. Everything was simple. I knew everything I needed to know 
And the people that couldn't get to those simple, quick answers were just ignorant. That Basically, that's all it was. They were just ignorant. They just didn't get it. And I, I mean, I remember when I knew everything. I, <laughs> you know, and then I got beat up a little bit, and I found out I didn't know everything. That there were some things I didn't know. There were some things that were not easy to solve. That there were really messy situations in life were really good people, good-hearted people who were trying their best to do the right thing, just couldn't get out of the mess they'd made. And there was not an easy answer. There was not a quick response to that that said, here, just, just do this, it'll be all better. There weren't easy answers anymore. That youthful passion is when you've got the answer to everything. You've got the solution to every problem. You know exactly what needs to happen. And there is no kindness there. There's no compassion there. There's nothing that says, let me come walk alongside you because this is going to take some time, but we're going to get there. There's just, hey, do this. Well, you don't want to do that? Well, be miserable. I don't care. And off you go. It causes you to have quick answers to hard problems. I will tell you that if you are a Christian couple and your spouse dies, your spouse goes to heaven, and that's a pretty good thing. But I will tell you that on the day that your spouse dies, the last thing you need is some idiot walking in going, well, she's in heaven now. You just want to punch that guy. You know, don't talk to me about heaven. I mean, I'll get there. I will get to heaven. I will figure out that it's an okay thing and that there's actually some blessings tied up in this. But right now, I am hurt, I am lonely, I am fearful about my future, and your stupid, quick little answer is not helping me. It's not that the answer is not true. Because if that person is in heaven, they are truly in a better place. It's not that that isn't true. It's that at that moment, that quick, flippant answer is not appropriate. That's an answer of youthful passion rather than a seasoned maturity that's gotten beat up a little bit that knows there are no quick, easy answers to hard, difficult situations and circumstances. Timothy, you need to flee youthful passion. Yeah, you need to have an appropriate relationship with the girls in the church, but that's not all we're talking about here, Timothy. We're talking about you growing up. We're talking about you growing up. Part of youthful passion is, is that thing that says that the wisdom of age is simply the knowledge of the irrelevant. That youthful passion is the belief that the wisdom of age is simply the knowledge of the irrelevant. See, it's when you look at a guy and say, that guy was a good mechanic in his day, and he was really good at rebuilding carburetors. But cars don't have carburetors anymore. Everything we get is fuel injected. It's not that he doesn't have wisdom, it's the wisdom that he has is irrelevant. When you begin to think that the wisdom of age is the knowledge of the irrelevant, that is a youthful passion, and you need to grow up. Because that guy knows things. His ability to rebuild that carburetor is based on the fact that he actually knows how that motor works. 
He doesn't just trade it in when it breaks down. That dude can tear it apart. He can put it back together. His wisdom of age is not just the knowledge of the irrelevant. He knows things you need to know, even if they don't have carburetors anymore. Youthful passion is when you think the wisdom of age is just the knowledge of the irrelevant. He says, Timothy, grow up. Grow up. Don't bring this stuff with you into the mature man you're supposed to be. See how that word is so much more inclusive of things than just about sexuality and, you know, don't get messed up with the girls in the church, Timothy? It's, it's so much more than that. And he's asking us to grow up. In place of that, he says, Timothy, here's some things you need to pursue. Remember, you can cleanse yourself. The whole chamber pot thing? <laughs> you could cleanse yourself and become useful for something better. So here's what you should pursue while you're moving away from those youthful passions. You should pursue righteousness. What is that? It's what God says is right, not what we think is right. And we all have an opinion about what we think is right and what should happen and what shouldn't happen. And he's saying, Timothy, you need to pursue righteousness. You need to pursue what God says is right. You need to pursue faith. Faith is that eternal perspective that says, this is not about just getting through Tuesday. This is about what's good for eternity. And I'm going to do on Tuesday what is important for eternity. I'm not going to get it the other way around. I'm going to have the long view. I'm going to focus on faith. I'm going to focus on love. Love not in the sense of just some romantic sense or I have a feeling, but love that says I am going to put others first. I'm going to invest in their welfare. It's not about me. Right? I mean, that, that was a phrase. We don't use that phrase much anymore, but there was a, a period of time we use it a lot, right? We go, dude, not all about you. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> not all about you. Love is the opposite of that attitude that says it's all about me. It's like, no, it's not all about me. It's about providing for others. It's about building into their welfare. It's about giving them what they need. It's about helping them to succeed. I am loving them. I'm actually sacrificing for the sake of their welfare and their growth and their development. He says, you need to focus on righteousness. You need to focus on faith. You need to focus on love. And then he says, you need to focus on peace. And he uses a Greek word here, but the, certainly the Jewish concept of peace that Paul would understand, the word shalom, which some of you are familiar with, that in that sense, it's not just just the argument ended. It's creating an environment that is nurturing, that is peaceful, where people are at ease and where they are restful. And we've all sensed that, right? You, there's just some people, you go to their house and you just feel like you can sit down and put your feet on the couch. And it's like, it's okay. There's other people, it's like, do you people live in this house or is this just where you entertain people when they come over, right? You, have, you know the difference, right? I mean, I literally, I've been to some people's houses and I'm going, I don't think anybody lives here. I think they live next door. But when they invite people over for dinner, they run over here to this house and we all have to, and you, you know, am I using the right fork? I don't know, you know, oh my God. You know, and other people, you go over to their house and it's like, hey dude, you know, and you're just, ah, you're just laid back and you're eating with your fingers. It's all good. When Paul talks about this idea of peace, he's talking about that nurturing, restful, inviting environment where there is not conflict and ill at ease, where it's comfortable. He's saying, Timothy, you need to pursue these things, and they should come from a pure heart. Look to yourself first. Come from a pure heart, not just trying to do good things so that you look good. 
He goes back and makes another quick reference to this issue of wrangling about words and godless chatter and babble and just noise and anger and listening in ways to defend offenses and all of that. And he says, he's saying, Timothy, as a leader. And so here I just want to stop and say, wherever you lead, if you're a parent, you're leading in that relationship with your child. If you're leading in your home, if you're leading where you work, you're a team leader, you're an influencer, if you're leading at school, if you're on some project to help the community, you know, improve the softball fields or whatever, I mean, there's places where you get asked to lead. Everybody gets asked to lead at some point. He says, in those places, he's saying, I need you to understand some things, Timothy, because you're a person of influence at that moment. He says, don't get sucked into quarrels. And anytime you try to lead something, you will always find that people you are trying to lead have opinions. And some people really enjoy the opportunity to express their opinion. And so whatever you're leading, you will find out that it is too hot, it is too cold, it is too loud, it is too quiet, it is too bright, it is too dark, it is whatever, 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 whatever. He says, Timothy, don't get caught up in all of that stuff. It's just quarreling about words. It doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't finish the project. It doesn't help anybody's life improve. It just makes everybody mad. It just frustrates everybody. Timothy, don't go there. And I think that's especially true in our culture that has just so brainwashed us into it's this or this. You either pick my side or the other guy's side. And you have to believe everything I say and believe it exactly the way I believe it. And you have to say it with the words that I've approved that you can use or you're ignorant, you're a hater. And I, 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 have, I have permission to somehow harm you because of how foolish and ignorant and evil you are. I mean, in, in this culture, if there has ever been a need for Christians to stand up and say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to get sucked into your quarrels. I'm not going to get sucked into your fights. I'm going to get off my high horse. I'm going to get down with you in the mess that you're in. I'm going to show kindness and compassion to you, and I'm going to help you find an answer that you haven't been able to find on your own. I'm here to help you. And I checked my motives first. I didn't grade yours. Wow. He's saying, Timothy, I need you to go there. Don't be quarrelsome. Be kind. Help these people who have been taken captive by the devil to regain their senses. I mean, look what's happening. He's saying they've lost their minds. They've been so caught up in these destructive arguments that they've ended up a prisoner of the devil. He is literally tormenting them with their own frustrations and fears. And they're no longer able to think straight. He says, you need to be kind. You need to be articulate. You need to be patient. You need to be gentle. You need to point out the confusion, not from your high horse where you're giving them a grade as to how well they're doing, but where you've gotten down off the horse, you're walking with them in the muck, and you're going, I get it. It's not easy. I know you don't want the problem to continue, and you're desperately trying to find an answer, and I'm here to help you, not because I'm better than you, but because Jesus is better than both of us, and he's going to help us. You get involved in this situation. Saying, Timothy, I need you to go there. I need you to go there. 
So I have an assignment for you. I keep handing out assignments every week. I have assignments. So I have a new assignment for you. Can we cleanse ourselves of the things that make us merely common so that we can become uncommon, a vessel useful for Jesus to use in our community? Can we do that? So I'm not saying that you aren't useful already. You've got skills, you've got talents, you've got abilities. The question is whether those abilities can only be used for common things or whether those abilities can be used for uncommon things because you've cleansed yourself of the iniquity so that Jesus, the master of the house, can use you for uncommon things. Are you that person? That's a pretty big challenge, isn't it? Isn't it? So I want us to pray that God would help us to choose to cleanse ourselves of the unrighteousness that limits us to commonness. And that we would become a vessel useful in the master's hands to do uncommon things. Can we pray that way? You pray with me that way? Okay. I got an amen, and he's shaking his head. That's three. (laughs) Scripture says where two or three agree as to touching any one thing. Honor... So I'm going to go with that. There's three of us. We're in this thing, man. We're going to make this happen. Father, I pray that you would help us. Jesus, help us. I'm not even exactly sure what to pray beyond that. Just help us, God. Help us get out of the way. Help us to get away from that judgmental, critical, quarrelsome, wrangling about word, attitude, and perspective. Help us to get off our high horse and back down into real life with real people that are working their way through real problems and that we would do it with kindness and with gentleness and with graciousness and with articulate words of love. God, help us, help us, help us. We want to be a vessel, not of common use, We want to be a vessel of uncommon use, fit for the master of the house to use, not the servants of the house to use. We want to be that uncommon one. We want to be useful, set apart to the master, set apart to righteousness, set apart to faith, set apart to love, a vessel of peace and kindness and mercy and grace to those around us. God, we want to be that. And we can't be it without your help. Help us, God. We renounce the things that are evil, that are iniquity, (laughs) that are sinful, that are dirty, that somehow pollute our lives. We renounce those things and we embrace those things that make us righteous and holy. Help us, God. to be used by you this week to make a difference 
in our community. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Go be a light in a dark place.